show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 5. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Every week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in NYC. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. What's up, New York City? This is Amy Wilson. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute, recording live from my apartment and broadcasting out from the new WBAI studios. Thank you to Reggie and everyone else in operations for keeping WBAI on the air in these dark times. Revolutions Per Minute is a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States, with 56,000 members nationwide. NYCDSA is its biggest chapter. We are run by our 5,500-plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. I'm an organizer with the DSA of North Brooklyn, and I use she, her pronouns. Before we get started with today's episode of Revolutions Per Minute, I wanted to take a note, a minute to note for the audience how we are producing our show under the uh, physical distancing pandemic public health restrictions. So today's episode was recorded by our production collective over the course of the last few days from a mix of live event audio and exclusive interviews. So you'll hear those throughout the course of the show. And on a personal note, I just want to express um, how much comfort and strength I personally have found in continuing to organize with Revolutions Per Minute and produce this weekly show. Um, it hasn't been easy, but our collective has come together to rise to the challenge of this moment. So I wanted to recognize my comrades, Lee Zishi, who produced this episode that you're about to hear, Jack Devine and Simone Norman, who you'll also hear during the show, and two collective members who are rarely heard on air but who do a lot of work behind the scenes, uh, Stephen and Jarvis. And of course, a huge thank you to our WBAI community, Keeping Score, who are on before us, and everybody else who's been doing the work um, to keep this station running as a voice for the people in New York City. The people of New York City need a people's response to the COVID-19 crisis. On today's episode, we'll talk about NYC DSA's organizing for the People's Bailout, a set of demands that center the needs of working class people at the epicenter of the crisis in the United States. We'll also hear from DSA-endorsed candidate Zoran Mamdani on how his campaign for Assembly District 36 has adapted to the demands of the COVID-19 pandemic and continues to organize toward mutual aid and relief for the workers of his district. But first, the headlines with Simone Norman. Governor Andrew Cuomo has been silent on an emergency bill to waive rent for New York's renters during the coronavirus crisis. Bernie Sanders announced his support for the legislation. 
Mayor Bill de Blasio called for an immediate rent freeze on rent-stabilized units, meaning that rents would not go up this year in the approximately 1 million units regulated by the Rent Guidelines Board. De Blasio announced the city may start issuing fines to individuals not following social distancing rules. The White House Coronavirus Task Force has instructed people who recently visited New York City to self-quarantine for 14 days. The COVID-19 infection rate at Rikers Island is seven times worse than the rest of the city. Nearly 200 people there have tested positive for the virus. Governor Cuomo has released 1,100 people jailed due to parole violations, and the governor and mayor are slowly moving to release more inmates after weeks of criticism. After mounting pressure to do so, Governor Cuomo has halted the majority of construction work. A surge in biking during the coronavirus pandemic is putting pressure on the city to close streets to cars and improve safe cycling infrastructure. Mayor de Blasio announced the city will be testing, closing, something off, closing some of its roads to vehicles in order to give more room to pedestrians. The test includes 1.6 miles of the city's 6,000 miles of roads. Mayor de Blasio has said it is unlikely that New York City students will return to the classroom this school year. The administration is also developing plans to offer free school meals to adults. Free meals are already available to children. Landlords are bad. A major Manhattan landlord is increasing rent 25% because, quote, we have high demand for apartments for medical personnel coming to New York City with Javits Center turning into a hospital. The New York State Office of Court Administration has halted all new non-essential court filings, which include debt-related cases. This is not a moratorium on debt collection. Enforcement for existing judgments will continue, so, for example, wages will still be garnished for some. Governor Cuomo was claiming that hospitals have enough protective gear for health care workers, but nor- nurses are reporting this is not true. New York hospitals may turn to lotteries to determine allocation of a limited ventilator supply. And in election news, Governor Cuomo postponed New York's April presidential primary to June 23rd, the same day as the primary for state and federal legislative seats. The special elections for City Council District 37 and Queensboro president are also likely to be rescheduled to the state. State Senate Minority Leader John Flanagan of District 2 in Suffolk County announced his retirement after the petitioning deadline, meaning the Suffolk County GOP can likely handpick his successor. Flanagan's shocking retirement means that at least 10 of the 23 Republican state senators will not run for re-election this year. The Working Families Party endorsed Jabari Brisport's campaign for state senate in District 25. Among New York City DSA's other candidates running this year, Working Families Party has also endorsed Marcella Matanes in Assembly District 51, as well as Senator Julia Salazar and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in their re-election campaigns. However, they endorsed incumbent Walter Mosley over Ferris of Front Forest in Assembly District 57 and are yet to issue an endorsement in Assembly District 36 of Astoria and New York Congressional District 15 of the South Bronx, where Zoran Mamdani and Samalise Lopez are respectively challenging machine candidates. The Jewish Vote has endorsed DSA-backed candidates Zoran Mamdani, Marcella Matanes, and Samelis Lopez. They did not endorse in Farasufrant Forest's race and backed Jason Salmon over Jabari Brisport. Governor Cuomo is considering including language in the state budget that would establish a $100 million publicly financed election system and limit minor parties' access to the ballot. 
This mirrors the Campaign Finance Commission's recommendations released late last year. Initially, the recommendations were set to become law, despite significant pushback from legislators. However, a state judge recently ruled that such a commission is not empowered to make laws and threw the recommendations out. Thank you, Simone Norman. Our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by NYCDSA's Electoral Working Group, covering local politics and radical activism. Subscribe at thethorn.nyc. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the federal government has passed a stimulus bill that does more to bail out big corporations than working class people. Here in New York, Governor Cuomo is refusing to protect tenants, endangering incarcerated people, and holding crucial Medicaid funding hostage. NYCDSA held a town hall last Saturday, March 28th, with our slate of endorsed candidates to launch our response, the People's Bailout. For more on that town hall, let's hear from Lee Zishi. Tens of thousands of New Yorkers testing positive for COVID-19 and millions forced to shelter in place, New York City DSA has had to figure out how to move organizing that has previously been heavily dependent on canvassing and large public gatherings to online spaces. Last Saturday, New York City DSA hosted the People's Bailout, a COVID-19 town hall with the DSA slate over Zoom and Facebook Live. Thank you so much for joining us for this town hall. It's great to be with all 112 of you, plus I think many more people who might be watching the Facebook live stream. As we all know, we're in the midst of a terrible global health crisis right now. And we know as democratic socialists that it will be working class people who will end up bearing the brunt of this crisis. And so this is why we're calling for a people's bailout for New York. And the thinking behind this campaign is that every time there's a major economic or health or other kind of crisis, it's the rich and the corporations who get bailed out, but not the people. And so in response to this dynamic, we as a chapter have developed a platform of demands. If you look at the platform, you'll see that our demands are grouped are grouped by both short and longer term demands. And the idea behind this is that in addition to making more urgent demands to survive the crisis in the immediate term, we also need to be forward thinking as organizers and start working towards a longer term mobilization of the working class and preparation for the economic downturn that will probably follow the COVID-19 crisis so that the working class is prepared to demand even bigger longer term demands on the state. During the town hall, DSA endorsed candidates broke down the different demands of the People's Bailout platform, which centered around health care, housing, labor and worker power, decarceration and policing, and immigrant justice. Here's union nurse, tenant activist, and DSA endorsed candidate for Assembly District 57, Ferris Souffrant Forrest, talking about what her fellow union nurses are experiencing and DSA demands around health care. We're currently fighting finding that the lack of protective equipment is really a problem. Nurses and doctors are using N95 masks that are designed to be a single use for an entire week. And that's disrespectful to workers who are putting their lives on the line and then also disrespectful to the patients that we're trying to keep safe. 
And then we talk about the lack of equipment for patients as well. We're talking about ventilators. Um, we knew, um, the governor knew since 2015 that we were short on ventilators. He did nothing then and he's crying out now. But the fact is that we need 30,000 and we're only about 11,000, which means that third of all, the third thing is that doctors will then start making crucial decision on who gets the life support and who does not. It's an unfortunate place to be, but nonetheless, this is where we are. And then finally, the lack of tests for workers. I will tell you that when I go in to work, no one's checking my temperature. No one's checking other people's temperature. And that is the first thing that you should do to make sure that the people who are walking into the building are safe or deemed fit to work. And if that's not happening, then we're only further putting ourselves, the other workers, and the patients at risk. This uh, emergency situation wasn't inevitable. Both Trump and Yes Cuomo need to be held accountable. Up until yesterday, Trump has refused to invoke the Wartime Production Act to make masks and ventilators. Um, nurses are out here dying because they don't have protective equipment. The first nurse from Mountain Sinai, it's unfortunate. You know, we had to move somebody who's on the front lines. Um, Cuomo still wants us to make cuts to Medicaid. He's trying to cut med to trying to cut hospital funding even now in the middle of this crisis. But what we see here is a common theme, the drive for profits. And we need to take profits out of our healthcare system. And as socialists, we always have a we always have a solution for that. Um and that is several demands. Our first demand is make COVID-19 testing and treatment free. This is not the time to make a buck. We must guarantee access to COVID-19 testing and treatment for everybody, free for everyone. And this includes the uninsured and the undocumented. If the federal government makes testing and treatment available, the state must ensure that these kits go out and they're distributed distributed equally to everyone. We need to protect Medicaid. Okay, Cuomo must accept federal funding for Medicaid instead of opposing this funding because he thinks they'll make it too difficult to balance the state budget. But whatever the work is, we don't need cuts. We can balance the budget by actually taxing the rich, right? The money is out there. The revenue is there. We just need to raise it. And everybody needs to pay their fair share. And in the larger scheme, we need to really rethink how our healthcare system works. Um, first of all, we should think about the role of private hospitals in New York State and that they all should be under public ownership. No hospital should be trying to make money off of our health. We need to put public health over profits. And then in the long run, we need to pass, um, or immediately, this could even happen tomorrow, um, pass the New York Health Act. We could really try to get it done as soon as possible because now more than ever, we need to guarantee that all New Yorkers have free quality health care. I am truly excited to work with so many people that put their duty above all. Um, but then we have to also acknowledge the anxiety, it what it takes to actually step out the door and go to work, knowing that you're putting yourself, your family, your patients at risk. This is really a time that we should really come together and see that there is a common goal. Without health, you don't have any wealth.
State Senate candidate Jabari Brisport covered housing demands like canceling rent and housing the homeless, as well as demands around decarceration. Yeah, you know, we lock up too many goddamn people, too many black people, too many people of color. We knew all this. And, you know, what we're seeing right now is how, again, how this public health crisis has exploded. Um, certain, certain crises we already had in our society, such as the incarceration problem that we have. I mean, you know, you just look at the numbers coming out of Rikers, the infection rates are spiking at higher levels than that of even New York City. And, you know, people talk about New York City being the epicenter of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. I mean, Rikers is to New York City as New York City is to the rest of the entire country. So we have some immediate demands such as just releasing all at-risk incarcerated people, people with underlying conditions like uh, diabetes, asthma, people who are immunocompromised because, you know, keeping them inside these cages is literally giving them a death sentence. They're immunocompromised, they're at risk of uh, dying, and it also reduces the prison population and the density. So it's a it's a health concern for their, you know, their fellow incarcerated people. We also want to release people who are, you know, detained pretrial or who violated their parole. This further reduces the prison population, which we should be doing regardless of a health crisis or not. But there was actually a state judge this past week in Queens who said that, you know, keeping a group of people that were um, detained uh, pretrial or violated parole um, in the midst of this crisis, actually violated their due process rights. And, you know, for the incarcerated people that are currently there, we want to provide testing and care, like testing to every single person in Rikers that's in any um, prison or jail or any um, pretrial detention throughout New York State, and also care for them because, you know, when the state locks somebody up, it's the responsibility of the state to protect the health of those people. We also got to talk about bail reform because Cuomo is pulling a Cuomo and trying to roll back bill reform measures, you know, just in the same way, you know, the stuff he's doing with Medicaid is also trying to pull us back. And we definitely don't want to go and any measures or any steps back on bill reform. We're just getting started and just making progress on it. And, you know, he's just trying to use confusion of the moment to uh, roll back. We don't want to do that. One, because it's wrong ethically to start locking up more people, but also in the midst of a crisis, we don't want to be adding to density and putting more people into these cages. And then we also want to go forward and just start restricting policing. So we don't want to include um, police in any measurements of enforcing public health, like using police and arrests to enforce uh, social distancing measures or quarantine measures, like the police should not be involved in that, or and the criminal justice system should not be involved in that. We've signed on to the demand of a legal aid society, which calls for an arrest moratorium during throughout the rest of this crisis. And also, we are calling for reducing the NYPD's budget. You know, what this crisis has done is really established priorities in our society. We currently have a $6 billion deficit for Medicaid. And, you know, the NYPD has a budget of several billion dollars. I think what this crisis has shown is that, you know, we need health care and doctors and nurses and social workers a lot more than we need cops. State Senator Julia Salazar talked about DSA demands to keep workers safe and secure, while DSA endorsed candidate for Assembly District 36, Zoran Mondami, outlined demands to ensure the health and safety of immigrant communities. We'll be talking more with Zoran later in the show. The town hall ended with DSA endorsed candidate for Congress, Sam Elise Lopez. Now more than ever, we need to fight to re-envision a different kind of government. We need to fight for bold policy proposals that put the needs of our communities first and not settle for crumbs. And I'm so honored that I'm on a slate with uh, the Democratic Socialists of America and, you know, my wonderful slate mates uh, that are here today. Because, uh, you know, what socialism means to me is fighting for collective liberation. 
and centering the needs of the most directly impacted in our communities and taking leadership and guidance from people on the ground that are suffering and translating that suffering into collective action, into electoral action that's going to, you know, make a change in this world and, and you know, make a difference. Um, and obviously, you know, as much as I believe uh, in electing a socialist, I do realize that the electoral process is imperfect um, as well. And it's limited also sometimes in what we, uh, you know, uh, you know, can fight for. So in addition to electing socialists, we need to create, uh, you know, the conditions to amplify the movement space and to stand in solidarity with, you know, the spectrum strike workers and the labor movement. Uh, you know, the coronavirus has shown the world that, you know, capitalism is something that doesn't work anymore. We need to envision different models of uh, doing things uh, that center uh, the collective and everything that we do and that invest in our collective goods and spaces like our housing, our healthcare, our community gardens, uh, that center uh, people that have disabilities. And we need to uh, be intentional about reaching out to the most marginalized so that they can give us guidance in terms of the things that we need to continue to fight for. So, you know, I believe in DSA, I believe in my slate mates, and I believe that organizing is the only tool that we have to get the changes that we need from the bottom up. For Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI, I'm Lee Zishi. Thank you, Lee. Uh, you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com, or on Twitter at NYCRPM. Today, we're talking about the people's bailout for COVID-19 relief in New York City. And now we'll have an in-depth interview with a DSA-endorsed candidate, Zoran Mamdani, who is running for Assembly District 36 from Astoria, Queens. Zoran spoke uh, with our Jack Devine yesterday. And let's go ahead and roll that clip. So we're very happy to be joined by Zoran Mamdani on Revolutions Per Minute. Zoran is an NYC DSA member and endorsed candidate running in New York State Assembly District 36, more commonly known as Astoria in Queens. So um, Zoran, thank you so much for joining us. And can you uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself like what forces pushed you to get involved in DSA? And then after getting involved in DSA, why did you decide to run for office? The forces that got me uh, involved in DSA, I, the, the first time I went to a DSA meeting was early 2017. So I would say that I think the, the, the context of that time, seeing Trump's victory, seeing the complete inability of the Democratic Party to, to reckon with itself, and having had critiques of the party for a long, long time and being very interested in looking for an organized leftist collective that would be willing to kind of assert itself and 
engage with this reality in different forms, whether it be electoral politics or, you know, issue-based work or political education. Later in the same year, I went on to run the paid canvas for the Khadr el-Yatim campaign in, in Bay Ridge. And then working on that campaign um, really put me in touch with a lot of people who continue to be uh, great, you know, DSA leaders, DSA members across the city. And I got further and further involved, really coming to a head when I joined the um, organizing committee of the Queen's DSA Electoral Working Group. In the work that I've done in electoral politics, whether it's running the paid cam- canvas of Khadr team, whether it's being the campaign manager for Ross Barkin, whether it's you know being the, one of the DSA liaisons on Tiffany Caban's campaign, it's been a real lesson in the potential we have um, within these seats of elected office and the way in which it's being wasted by incumbents, both the one I'm challenging, but also across this borough. And we've had people continue to be charged on cash bail. And now we have a public health crisis on Rikers Island because DA Katz refuses to let people out. The story that you're telling, um, I think, is one that we've heard from a lot of people on our show in organizers and the various spheres of struggle that DSA is engaged with. And while like you are engaged on the electoral level, uh, you have a different orientation towards electoral politics than many mainstream Democrats. And you've also mentioned the public health crisis that is currently um, killing the hundreds of New Yorkers and thousands of people across the globe. And we've seen DSA um, and our candidates react to the moment by shifting our priorities. So how is like your campaign changed its organizing strategy because of the COVID-19 pandemic? The issue here is that this pandemic is a crisis of health and it's also a crisis of capitalism. And so the necessity of fighting back continues. And what we have done is to take a physical operation, make it a purely digital operation. So right now, actually, just about an hour ago, I was phone banking with a couple other members of the team. We're starting out a new phone banking operation where we are calling people across this district, asking them, A, if they need help with any groceries, if they need help with getting their medication, basically participating in mutual aid. And we've actually, we were one of the founding members of a new group called the Astoria Mutual Aid Collective. And B, what we're doing in that call is also asking people to take action, because right now it's very easy to feel like we're individuals, we're helpless, and we're just kind of at the behest of, you know, this virus and Andrew Cuomo's whims. But the reality is that we have just as much power as we did prior to this. Frankly, there's even more opportunity now to reshape our state's political destiny. And so reminding people that, look, you may be at home, you may be at the mercy of your job, you may be at the mercy of this virus, but you are not, you do not have to be at the mercy of the state if we call and organize around this. And so we're asking people right now to call and pressure district attorney Katz to let people off of Rikers because right now it's looking like in a couple weeks, there's a good chance that all of the people on Rikers will have Corona. These efforts of mutual aid and the push on the legislative front are really encouraging because you have these heightened contradictions where you have this social isolation. So it feels like maybe it's more difficult for people to organize collectively. But as we're seeing uh, in multiple spheres, we have 
these Amazon workers and these Instacart workers going on strike because their labor has been shown to be even more essential or at least exposed as being the, the backbone of our society. And they're really recognizing their power. And then you also have people organizing in places like outside of immigrant uh, detention centers, in New Jersey, showing up in their cars and honking horns. And so at the core of this um, people's bailout that DSA is demanding on the state has been the protection of immigrant communities. And during the people's bailout town hall, you outline DSA's demands on this front. So can you explain to our listeners what those demands exactly are and why they're so necessary for the constituents that you're looking to represent? The demands, what we're talking about when we, we, we go over kind of, the idea, basically, that there's been a lot of rhetorical lip service paid to this concept of New York as a sanctuary state, but that our realities have really fallen short of the promise of that. And what we want is that just like we want healthcare to be something that is not dependent on someone's income status, we similarly want all of these services to not be dependent on someone's citizenship status. Right? I got my citizenship just two years ago. The vast majority of my family are still not uh, American citizens. And this is something that's both personal and it's also something that, you know, it is high time that if we allow so many electeds and so much of the state apparatus to kind of revel in the diversity of Queens as a borough and of New York as a city and a state, and yet do nothing on this front, it's, it's time for accountability on that. We want ICE to be blocked off from accessing any hospitals and courthouses, that there is no sharing of state and local agencies. Um, there's no sharing of people's immigration status uh, with federal immigration enforcement. And that in the same way that we're fighting for people to be released off Rikers, um, who are either vulnerable to this or are there on cash bail or are there on nonviolent charges, we similarly want the same things um, for immigrants in detention. Frankly, we want all immigrants in detention to be released, as well as a moratorium on ICE detentions and deportation. Um, I was also talking about on the call how, you know, the Office of Refugee Resettlement has re has stopped um, putting children with host families. And now some of those children here in New York State have contracted corona. You know, that this is kind of an all hands on deck and a time for us to really make sure that no one is left behind in the answer to this pandemic. Moment are using the crisis as an opportunity to accelerate their barbarism and the need for collective action to prevent that is more important than ever. And another crisis that has been accelerated by the coronavirus and the economic crisis that is going alongside it is in housing. Um, housing costs have already skyrocketed. The number of homeless people in New York is on a, an absurd level. During the town hall, the demands on housing were covered by Jabari Brisport, but you, before uh, stepping down to run for office, were a housing counselor. Yes. So can you uh, talk um, about DSA's demands around housing? And can you um, explain the difference between a rent strike and a rent suspension? I am a foreclosure prevention housing counselor. I have taken a six-month leave to, to run for office, um, but it is something that is very near and dear to my heart. And it is very much the fulcrum of our campaign is about housing because you know, this is a crisis that existed prior to this pandemic, as we all know. 
I'm running for office in Astoria where nearly a quarter of Astoria tenants are paying half of their income to rent. And I'm one of those tenants, right? I'm paying $2,000 a month for a one bedroom apartment in a rent stabilized unit here in Astoria. And you think about that being the pre-existing stats. Now, what it must be during this time of a pandemic is just hard to even fathom because we are being told by the governor that, you know, I've taken care of rent because I've put something, I've put the eviction moratorium there, which is suspending all evictions for three months. But the reality is that this kind of papering over approach to any of these mass socially, social society wide crises is one that does nothing to solve the problem. Right? If you don't have the money today, and you don't have the money in ne- next month and the month after that, how is it all of a sudden in June, you're going to have all the money to pay back all the rent that you missed? Because otherwise, you're going to be evicted. I think that when we're talking about what we're pushing for is to cancel rent for the entirety of this crisis, right? Because if you are not employed, if you have lost hours, if your loved one has or someone in your family has, then you are going to be unable to sustain the level of kind of financial burden that you had been carrying on your back prior to this pandemic. Now, when you talk about a rent strike, that is something that it's very important. You know, I'm not a tenant organizer, but my campaign manager, Jenna Goldsable, she's a tenant organizer. Many of the people in my kind of organizing sphere are tenant organizers, and they talk often about the importance of organizing when it comes to a rent strike. It's not something you can do on your own. It's not something you can just decide on April 1st that you will individually strike. It is a tactic. It is one that has to be heavily organized for and planned for. And I have a good friend of mine, Rima Begum. She is the founder of the Bangladeshi Tenants Union. They are a collective uh, union, rather, of a lot of Bangladeshi tenants, predominantly in Zara Realty buildings, which are these you know big complexes, uh, mostly in, in Jamaica. And they have organized tenants building by building to prepare people for a rent strike. There are people in Astoria who are organizing as well for that. Um, and it's something that you use as a tactic that you can bring tenants together across the building, specifically when you have a demand. And in this moment, the demand is that we cannot pay rent for this, for the duration of this crisis. And what makes a landlord, um, kind of a good target for this is especially if there are aspects of their portfolio that you know, for example, Remo was mentioning to me that, you know, in one of the buildings they're organizing in, the landlord has paid off the mortgage years ago. So there isn't really that kind of excuse for forcing tenants who have lost their jobs to continue to pay their rent because the costs associated with the ownership of the property are far lower than a typical situation. Um, so I think what we need to do is, We cannot wait for the state to save us. So that's why we need to organize tenant by tenant, building by building. And that's why you will see rent strikes take place across the city and state that have been organized by different collectives. But we also need to be pressuring the state because a patchwork of rent strikes will not sustain an entire state of more than 10 million people. Yeah, there's this a need for this organizing on the ground to push this statewide development. There needs to be this collective organization, these working class institutions, these tenant unions that have developed over time. And it's not something that you can snap into reality. It takes the on the ground organizing work that is very difficult and something that we're very focused 
on on this program that it's not magic, but it's relationship building and and trust. While there's clearly a real need if you're living in the rational world right now for <laughs> to prevent the continuing extraction of people's resources to landlords to capital that has been going on. Um, I mean, for centuries, but has been heightened over the past few decades and is now reaching its third level during this crisis. We're going to have people receive unemployment checks and then all of it is going to go straight to their landlord and they're not going to be able to feed themselves. And so I want to continue to talk about the number of crises that have been um, intensified because of coronavirus, as well as the, the long-term demands that the uh, socialist movement through electoral politics and through its other spheres of struggle are pushing as cap- the crisis of capitalism intensifies. But we're just going to go back to Amy Wilson for a brief moment, and then we'll be back with Zoran for more. Thank you, Jack. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com or on Twitter at NYCRPM. Today, we're talking about a working class response to the COVID-19 pandemic. This crisis is touching every aspect of working class lives, and the response from New York City DSA has been broad and far-reaching. For an eco-socialist perspective on the people's bailout and corporate utilities, Con Ed, and National Grid, here's Daniel Golden of the NYC DSA Eco-Socialist Working Group. So immediately, as soon as this began, um, the New York City DSA Eco-Socialist Working Group realized that people were just simply not going to be able to pay their utility bills during this time, and that shutoffs during this would be totally catastrophic. Imagine you were under quarantine for 14 days, and your power went off, or your gas went off, or you lost your water. Complete catastrophe. So... We, in coalition with Housing Justice for All, which is a kind of progressive left housing group, um, called for a moratorium on utility shutoffs and evictions. Evictions because evictions would be just as devastating as a utility shutoff, if not more so. Um, so the very next day, the New York State government announced a moratorium on utility shutoffs. And a few days after that, they announced a moratorium on evictions. So this in and of itself is a huge victory. It means that no one is going to be losing their power, gas. No one is going to be kicked out onto the street for the duration of this crisis. Already, this has saved lives. So obviously, a huge victory. But there were problems. Um, at first, it seemed like the Public Service Commission, which is the body that is supposed to regulate um, the utilities, it seemed like the Public Service Commission was going to um, issue an order barring utilities from uh, having shutoffs. But the utility companies kind of got around them and like voluntarily agreed to suspend shutoffs. So this means that shutoffs could resume at any time because there's no legal force behind them. So Con Ed tomorrow could decide to just shut off power to anyone who hasn't paid their bills. Um, that's obviously like really not acceptable. Acceptable. Furthermore, delaying shutoffs is a good start, but it's really not enough. Um, people aren't working right now, so they can't pay their bills. So it, when this crisis like ends in the next couple months, people will not have paid their bills for a number of number of months. So we're just going to see a wave of shutoffs and evictions. Like 
Obviously, it would be great if this could be over by the end of May, but what's going to happen June 1st? Are we going to have like millions of people kicked out on the street because they haven't been working for the past three months? Are we going to have millions of people losing their power because they haven't been working? So we're calling as a working group and in coalition with other groups, we're calling for a suspension of utility bills and a suspension of rent until this crisis is over um, because people just can't pay it. Um, we also want the PD, the PSC, the Public Service Commission, to codify the shutoff moratorium and extend it for a full year. And what we really want on kind of a broad level is to make sure that people who are property owners, people, utility companies that own capital, they should be the ones taking the hit during this crisis, not working people. It is not fair for a company who is making millions of dollars every year in profit, or billions in fact, um, to not have any financial hit during this time, but a person who is working for minimum wage to take a financial hit. Um, it also looks like the government is going to give direct cash payments to people. Um, Right now, if people just have to pay rent and their utility bills, the payments are going to go to those and they're not going to go to food. Those cash payments should be going to food and necessities, medical care for people. They should not be going right into the landlord's pockets. Landlords and utility companies do not need a bailout. Working people do. So this whole crisis has shown that everyone's a socialist in an emergency. Um, so far, we've had, like, in terms of just what we've had over the past couple of days in uh, past couple of weeks in New York City, we've had moratoriums on evictions and shutoffs. Buses are now free. Like, you can take the bus for free. Um, the federal government is talking about direct cash transfers. Like, all of that would have been unimaginable. Um, and the reason for this is that COVID-19 is an emergency. Um, but the thing is, is that people face emergencies every single day. Like, just because we're in a state of emergency right now does not mean that someone who cannot pay rent and uh, because their job doesn't pay enough and, get kicks out and gets kicked out on the street with kids, that's an emergency too. So we need to understand that the state of emergency is ongoing in a capitalist system. It's not something that has just started now. Um, furthermore, we're in a climate emergency, so crises like COVID-19 are just going to become all the more frequent. And if we want to survive the future, we're all going to have to become socialists and leave this capitalist uh, system behind us. That was Daniel Golden of the New York City DSA Eco-Socialist uh, Working Group. Uh, and for more on New York City DSA's specific demands as outlined in the People's Bailout, um, here's part two of our interview with Zoran Mamdani, DSA-endorsed candidate for Assembly District 36 in Queens. Uh, take it away, Jack Devine. All right, so we are back for part two of our interview. Um, we are going to be now turning more towards the, the work that the eco-socialist working group here in NYC DSA is doing and how that relates to the uh, people's bailout that has been pushed out by NYC DSA in um, the aftermath of this new coronavirus crisis. So... Zoran, the Eco-Socialist Working Group has called on Governor Cuomo and the Public Service Commission to institute a one-year moratorium on all utility shutoffs, a one-year freeze on all utility bills, and debt forgiveness paid by for taxes on the rich, not rate hikes in the future. Can you explain why it's so crucial for these demands to be met during this public health crisis? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, 
what our fight is as socialists is a fight for a society where dignity is provided to each and every individual, regardless of any kind of status, whether it be uh, economic, whether it be immigration, whatever it is. And we cannot separate the fight for energy justice from the fight for housing justice or the fight for immigration justice. The amount of shutoffs in this state are is just criminal. And the idea that we would, throughout the duration of this pandemic, at any point shut off heat and shut off electricity, shut off water, this is not something that people can live without. But what I think is really critical here and what I really appreciate about the eco-socialist demands is that we have to push for things that last beyond this specific crisis. Because whether you don't have heat during the coronavirus pandemic or you don't have heat during a winter, it is still a crisis for an individual and for a family. I personally have worked with many homeowners who are facing the very real prospect of a shutoff and are having to choose between two equally necessary things for their family, right? Food or energy and having to make a choice there. And what we need is for the state and the public service commission to take ownership of its power and take that power back from private corporations. Because we have these, we are sold this lie that efficiency goes hand in hand with private ownership. But what we see, not simply here, but everywhere, but if we're talking of this example with Con Ed and National Grid, is that this lie we're being sold is being used to justify these continual rate hikes and we are told that these rate hikes will improve the efficiency of the services and it will make things better. And really what it's doing is they're simply hikes that are extracting wealth from working class communities across the state and putting them straight into the hands and the pockets of the executives at these companies as well as the investors at these companies. And that is why we need to really shut off their ability to continue extracting this wealth and take away the power and the stranglehold they have over working class families. And we need to ensure that in this moment, we do not allow ourselves to fall for eco-fascist kind of narratives of, of what the positives are of this pandemic, but that we push for society-wide infrastructural changes that allow us to actually stay on this earth. And I think that in Astoria, this is a battle that is so critical because Astoria is the number one energy producing district in the state. The, the District 36, which I'm running for in, in, in Astoria and in Dittmar Steinway and Astoria Heights, this is a district that produces about a quarter of the state's energy. And our larger neighborhood of Astoria that goes a little beyond the district produces about 50% of the energy, um, of the city's energy rather, not the state. And all of this energy production, almost all of it is dirty. And there is no sense of urgency coming from these privately held corporations because for them, the urgent matter is that of profit. And for us, the urgent matter is that of people, right? And in the long term, we cannot allow the market to determine when is it profitable to turn from pollution to renewable. We know that this is something that needs to happen today. And that's what necessitates public power is that we need a future in which we can actually survive here and not simply some select few who have the means by which to live in a different world, right? It is something that we know if we do not push for this, 
it will not happen. And so when we're trying to build public power, also trying to build the power of the public. The examples of Con Ed and uh, Natural Grid really demonstrate how uh, monopoly capital does not, in fact, function more efficiently or effectively than public ownership. And the, there's a number of comparisons you can do and look at that publicly owned utilities function more efficiently at lower cost, deliver better results. And so now, as, as you've been discussing your last comment, the DSA slate of endorsed candidates has come out in support of uh, NYC DSA's public power campaign. So I just want to thank you so much for joining us on Revolutions Per Minute. Uh, if there's any last comment you want to make, we're happy to, for you to share it. And we're definitely going to keep our listeners updated on your campaign as things progress. Absolutely. Yeah. The, I would love to say, you know, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Thank you to everyone who's tuning in right now. Um, yeah, we, we really do appreciate all of the work that you yourself, Jack, and everyone who's listening are doing because it's integral that we continue to create this world that we believe in, in all the different ways that we are able to. It's not just doing electoral organizing. It's not just making these phone calls. It's also making podcasts like this, right? Making radio shows like this and really tuning in, staying engaged, doing whatever it is within your wheelhouse, because we need to exact pressure across the entire society that we live in. Um, so thank you so much. I hope all of you, um, can join us. Our website is Zahran, Z-O-H-R-A-N-F-O-R assembly. So Zahran for assembly.com. You can find us also on social media at Zahran K Mamdani is our handle at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, not yet TikTok, but who knows how long this shutdown is going to go. <laughs> Great. So uh, that was Zoran Mamdani, a DSA endorsed candidate for Assembly District 36, um, interviewed by Jack Devine um, for Revolutions Per Minute. Um, we're coming to the end of our uh, show for this week. Um, I'm Amy Wilson, just keeping you going along on our, our, our show here. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't look like we have time to take calls uh, from the WBAI audience. Um, so I do apologize for that. Um, and uh, I thank you for our patience uh, with the show as we figure out um, our production um, in the midst of this, uh, you know, completely unprecedented <laughs> uh, situation that, that we're in. Um, but um, if you enjoyed listening to today's show and you'd like to get involved with um, the organizing that you heard about over the course of this last hour, um, I do have some ways that you can do that. Um, you can learn more about Zoran Mamdani um, by visiting Zoran for Assembly. So that's Z for Zebra, O-H-R-A. N for Nancy for assembly.com. The People's Bailout Platform is available in full on our NYC DSA website, socialists.nyc. We encourage you uh, to follow New York City DSA on social media at NYC DSA um, and to join our movement now if you can. Uh, now is the time for the workers of New York to come together to protect the most vulnerable among us and to build our power to challenge the oppressive capitalist system. Um, there's digital organizing happening within New York C City DSA, literally 
all day, every day. Um, if you want to, you can spend your entire life um, on Zoom organizing um, to, to build socialism. You don't have to, um, but but you could. Um, but we do need you uh, to join in our struggle uh, now more than ever. And we have faith in our comrades and in our work um, that we will uh, bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old. So I'm Amy Wilson. Thank you for listening. Uh, thanks to Jack, Lee, and Simone for assembling the various pieces of this show. Uh, thank you to Reggie, who is doing a fantastic job um, engineering um, all of our shows remotely. Um, and please Tune in next week for more from Revolutions Per Minute. Uh, have a great night, everybody. Stay safe, wash your hands, and solidarity forever. Oh, yeah.